Welcome to the Take 5 podcast from Fortinet. You give us a few minutes and we provide five cybersecurity tips and best practices for today's technology leaders. This podcast series taps into the experience from the Fortinet Field CISO team and the work being done with and through our ecosystem partners, technologies, and experts. I'm your host, John Jacobs, Fortinet CISO for the Technology Vertical. And today we're talking with Devin Krugley, Practice Advisor of Vulnerability and Risk Management at Rapid7. Welcome, Devin. Let's jump right in. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and why you selected a path in cybersecurity? Thanks, John. Uh, certainly happy to be here. Yeah, I, um, I really cut my teeth in security when I was in the military a few years, more than a few years ago. Um, I was in the Army, and uh, one of my responsibilities was to, to maintain and administer uh, what at that time passed for a, a GPS device, this uh, PSN-8, for those of you that are familiar, but it was, uh, was a backpack that weighed about 17 pounds. Uh, uh, and, you know, looking at our cell phones today, it, it's pretty antiquated. But, uh, but part of the, you know, administration of that, that device was to rotate encryption keys, 16-bit encryption keys. And uh, in, in doing so, that really sparked my interest and, and it's a passion I've had ever since. I, uh, I migrated from the army uh, into a pretty lengthy stint in the commercial space, spent some time at, at ExxonMobil, in an operations position, again, in the security and in the security title, I guess. Um, and then I, I moved to scratch a bit of an entrepreneurial itch um, and was part of a startup for an EDR, XDR solution um, some time ago at, before a CrowdStrike and, and even Carbon Black. Um, and then I uh, had a stint with, uh, with Deloitte, again, in the cybersecurity risk management space. But, uh, but it's always, always been, um, you know, something I... Uh, I've been interested in just organically and, and I'm, I guess, fortunate enough to have made a career out of it too. There's probably some money in one of those old PSN packs too, I'm sure. So, <laughs> <laughs> but what, uh, so what do you see as the, the biggest change engine in front of us in the realm of cybersecurity? That's an interesting topic. I, um, I know that, you know, the usual suspects uh, when, when this type of question is brought up is, you know, the, the growth of data, right, the, the deluge that, that we're all experiencing. Um, I think there is some credence that needs to be paid to, you know, monetize the monetization of cybercrime, ransomware and other, right, it's, it's uh, very attractive uh, to, to all sorts of, of uh, actors out there. Um, that's certainly an agent of change. And, uh, and then, you know, the talent and expertise shortages we're experiencing just generally in the space. Um, uh, expertise is definitely at a premium. Good, good for us. Not, not so great for organizations that are being targeted. Um, I can say that, you know, what, what's a little more interesting, and I think not as discussed as frequently, is the, I hate to say this, but the, some of the complacency that I'm starting to see uh, within organizations, and, and the, the complacency kind of comes from a, a place of, of really complexity, right? We've got an increase in governmental policy uh, and in internal policy. I, I think that has spurred adoption of security solutions. Um, and you add additional stakeholders and the fact that security is always in the headlines. Uh, that complexity makes things very challenging and certainly has led to, you know, some of the, the expertise shortages and job hopping today. Uh, but, but I also think that it's going to be 
more difficult and more challenging as, as things, uh, things continue to progress. So as an agent of change in how organizations are responding to those factors uh, is, is what I would say is the, the biggest change in it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We see the same too. Just that idea of complexity certainly is is a barrier that's that's becoming more and more profound. Uh, what would you say is your forecast for the next wave of threats? You, you mentioned ransomware, uh, but but maybe that and some others as a result of what we're witnessing in the expanded tax or attack surface. Maybe just that as as the sort of key focus. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, I had spent some time kind of preparing for for the talk in advance, and and you know, wanted to present some topics. I think they're a little, little more salient. Um, I would say, within you know the attack surface model, application security um, is uh, is going to be and continue to be a, a an opportunity for for bad actors, and it is an area that many organizations are are still working. Ardently to improve, or and in many cases haven't haven't started at all. Uh, you know, DevSecOps or DevOps, all the way up to you know workload protection, um, the migration to, to cloud where everything is code. Uh, that is kind of a parallel to the complexity that I mentioned above, um, and is leading to having blind spots uh, uh, you know across the attack surface if we, if we think, you know start to include that application layer I think also this pretty accelerated growth of, of APIs you know I uh, sometimes refer to it as the API economy where everything's talking to everything yeah. it really exacerbates the, the dependency um, and importance of understanding what open source code libraries organizations are consuming. Um, how serverless services are becoming very commonplace uh, and the need to, to address those as, as part of that risk picture. You know, if you take a step back and we ask ourselves, well, where do organizations start given that complexity? Um, the, the adage that, uh, that is quite common today is, right, is, is shifting left and starting to institute security by design concepts, right? Know what you're building, understanding the data, what it interacts with. Uh, it's still far too common to talk but you know, very adept and skilled software engineers that don't know what threat modeling is or unfamiliar with translating source code or dynamic application testing reports, um, uh, we run into to all the time. And, and unfortunately that, you know, it is the attack surface and uh, is probably the most actively researched uh, on, on the, the threat actor side, uh, you know, just to, just because of the, the, proliferation, the proliferation of vulnerabilities is, is pretty astute. Um, humans are always the weakest link and there's a lot of humans involved in software development. Yeah, for sure. That, that the, is. The, the good news is, is the, there's an analog, right, for organizations to kind of gravitate towards and, and a vulnerability management program has, has all the, the juicy nuggets to wrap around application security, right? It, it's the same life cycle if we think about it really simply. You gotta identify, you need to analyze and assess, you need to generate information that goes back to the application security teams to patch and then ultimately you know, manage and monitor that, that program. So it, it's not insurmountable, but more and more needs to become uh, or be adopted under, under that vulnerability management program or a tech service management program. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's pretty pretty real challenges. 
and and definitely a broad spectrum. So what would be sort of the the point you'd hone in on from an organizational perspective as they look to maintain their ability for for cyber or maintain that cyber risk perspective as the whole surface expands with new technologies, maybe even 5G, IoT as as sort of another specialized focus. Gosh, 5G and IoT that opens up a whole whole uh, whole new avenue to, to kind of explore. But you know, there there is this huge growth in disconnected devices. I think that the most recent uh, stat that I, I came across is from a, a Juniper research report. But the this year, in fact, 2021, there's supposed to be 46 billion devices that are that are connected. Wow. Uh, I just I don't even know how to how to uh, illustrate or, or, or appreciate that number, but it, you know, it's a, effectively a 200% increase um, than where we were, what, five years ago in 2016, um, you know, Google even, and it's so odd to me that I came across this stat. I, I don't have anything uh, in any ho- hardware that Google manufactures or brands in my home, but they, uh, they claim to own 46% of the home device and automation space. So that, that is a huge contributor, I think, to, um, the the expanse and and being able to understand and appreciate what and how an organization's perimeter is is continuing to grow. I mean, going back to our tech surface management um, question, but uh, I think a, a place to start is is understanding what tools an organization already has, uh, and and being able to uh, assess and discover right. Just the inventory management part is what I'm referring to. Um, you know. The, then being able to quantify what that risk looks like. Uh, and, you know, the simplest example and certainly been talked about numerous times is, you know, if the system goes down, what, what would it cost us? What, uh, what, what business couldn't get done or, or what um, business process couldn't be finished, at, you know, end of month close as an example around uh, financial risk. But that, that quantification exercise is, is something I think to, to your original question, um, you know, what organization, what should organizations be doing is, is starting to chip away at that quantification exercise. I think it's only through that appreciation being shared with the business uh, that some accountability in areas that haven't traditionally been discussed, uh, you know, with, with the, the leadership at the business level um, is, is a place that, that really as an industry, we need to start driving towards. Uh, giving the business an understanding of what that risk looks like um, and obviously quantifying it so they're, they're clear and, and it's being communicated to them in a, in a language they understand. You know, I, I think I'll make one last point is that getting better fidelity of the risk themselves also allows uh, for more efficient use of resources. So if there's limited budget, limited time, um, getting a picture of that across an application stack, everything from the application layer to the host operating system, to the underlying infrastructure, um, is is really important. The um, and the, you know controls are starting to change too, John. The the uh, deception as a kind of a, a newer weapon in the arsenal can help quantify that risk service. It's also a, a discovery tool. Um, but uh, but I yeah. would I would suggest that you know that that accountability problem needs to be solved for. Um, and and I, I don't know that that's there, there's a single solution, but it yeah. needs to be high on the list. 
Yeah. I, I love the the topic of deception. We probably should have another talk just based on that. I think that's an often overlooked tool in the arsenal that, uh, you know, sort of came about early and faded away. And I think there's just tremendous uh, potential there. So uh, we talk about this a fair amount at Fortinet, but where do you see the biggest benefits now noting, you know, this kind of problem scope, what organizations face, the benefits in the regard to a platform approach. Certainly there's been a trend to pick industry best of breed. Uh, I think people will continue to do that, but now knowing that there are so many nuanced uh, components, what, what's your take on, on an idea of a platform? Yeah, I think it's, you know, it tethers nicely back to the my opening point about the complexity and confusion, hmm. uh, you know, one, one benefit certainly from a, a kind of a platform approach is, is having strong and consistent, you know, expected or anticipated results from, from your tools. Um, controls should function the way that you built them and, and being able to do that becomes a lot easier if, if you're not having to troubleshoot APIs and interconnectedness and, and uh, you know, chains of data uh, that, that stretch across different platforms. Um, you know, that's not to suggest that we put binders on or blindly and impetuously trust a technology provider, you know, a single technology provider. Uh, you know, you can put uh, validation and, and um, you know, application of lessons learned around how the vendor is providing and, and, you know, how frequently things are being updated and whether or not your, your needs, specific needs with a platform approach are being um, met. But, uh, what once was, you know, this best of breed approach and the pendulum is swung back and forth as you, as you know, John, but the best of breed approach, uh, even as, as short as five years, I think is starting to, to become less common and, and, uh, organization more and more often looking, looking for a platform and that just the complexity alone, I think, uh, requires that plus being able to automate and orchestrate security tasks, um, mundane security tasks becomes a lot, lot more uh, uh, salient or more easily achieved uh, is probably a better, better reference. Um, I think also the platform approach can drive a, this consolidated view into risk that, that I referenced earlier. Um, you know, the, using an application as an example, as a unit of risk measure um, is, is pretty challenging when you've got information coming from an application security testing tool and then something else for vulnerability management and something else if you know, you've got external pen testing reports, uh, having that platform uh, that has a shared, you know, something super basic, right, a, a shared data model or shared schema uh, gives that target for a consolidated view into risk a little easier. You can then take the application risk, right, as that unit of measure and assign it to, uh, to business leaders again, chipping away at some of the accountability. So there's a variety of things I think that a platform approach provides. Um, some of the tactical things that are becoming more and more important, uh, especially with you know, regulatory and compliance uh, driving this, I think is, is a role-based access control model that's much more streamlined if you have a, a platform in place that handles a lot of your security needs, be it you know, SOAR, SIM, uh, VM, uh, than, than having you know multiple business units involved or having uh, different technology there, I think also the administrative overhead and and uh, I like the adage of having one throat to choke. That's that's always um, in the consideration set for you know going with a with a platform play as well. I don't know if you have any more thoughts there there, John, but you know yeah. those are some of the immediate ones that come to mind. 
No, that's great. I, I would hone in on, you know, just your last point, I think is, is very salient. And that is just having less vendors to manage, having less um, individual points to consolidate really in and of itself, the, the idea of simplicity, creating uh, a more manageable attack surface. So that's great. Um, that's a lot of information. I appreciate it, Devin. Uh, we're yeah. we're going to keep this uh, relatively short, but thanks for joining our podcast today. Ah, absolutely. I uh, can't thank you enough. I enjoyed it. I certainly enjoyed meeting you. Look forward to something in the future. Yeah, absolutely. And to our listening audience, thanks for joining us for this episode of Take 5. Please visit our respective websites, Fortinet.com and Rapid7.com for more information about the solutions within the Fortinet security fabric. The Take 5 podcast is brought to you by Fortinet, securing your applications across the entire network, your infrastructure, multi-cloud, and edge environments.